Welcome to Momentum Church. I am so thankful that we have a defender, amen? One that goes before, beside, and behind in Psalms, it says. And together as a church, we need to come into agreement for a family that has faced such tragedy this week. I'm wearing our first responders t-shirt today in memorial to Justin and Amber Hicks. Justin was one of our, our firemen here in Cherokee County. And senselessly in the night on Thursday, um, a home invasion turned into both he and his wife being murdered in their home and leaving a two-year-old little toddler boy and so we have set up meal trains for the family to get food to those that are attending to the boy and each other right now and, and, um, and looking for other ways that we'll be helping to support this family. But you all know that first responders means a lot to us at Momentum Church. Our, our heart goes out to those who stand in the gap for our security and our safety, our protection. And so we want to be those who stand in the gap for them. And so the Lord has given us significant inroads in doing that. And I hate opportunities when they come like this because um, it's good to be able to run into it, but you hate that it's even there in the first place. So just be praying for that family. Let's just join together our hearts today. Jesus, you are our defender. And we lean into you right now, God. We lean into you. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just encompass this family. Round about them, God, that they would sense your, your strength in this, this incredible time of need. That little boy, that your hands would be upon him. Father, I thank you for swift justice, Lord. And in the, 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 the capturing of the man already, Lord God, we praise you for that and ask, Lord, that that would take place swiftly. And so we just lift the Hicks family to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Can you guys thank the band? Man, thank you guys. I appreciate you guys so much. I don't think people realize how much practice and all the stuff they do to, to come and use their gift for the Lord. And, and so we see them on Sundays, but thank you guys for all you guys do. We're going to get into our week two of our Hosting for the Holidays series. And um, I'm sure in your homes, you're already like neck deep in the hosting mode, getting things ready and prepared. And um, what I was looking at last week, we began to look at, I told you it would be a two-week part of this series, and then we'll come back in December and do kind of our Christmas part of this series. But the first two weeks, I really wanted to lean in on hosting the Holy Spirit. Amen. How many was more mindful this week of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Anybody? Good. Oh, that, that's his pastor's heart. Yes, it does. I'm so glad to hear that. And, and that's what we're talking about, a relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit, something that's vibrant and alive, something that isn't just passive, something that isn't just visited on a Sunday or when you choose once in a while to pick up a Bible, but something that's vibrant every day. The, the studies have shown in our culture in America, Christianity is shifting from what it once was, this vibrancy, to a place of, I don't want you to miss this, moralistic, therapeutic deism. We're going to unpack it, all right? You're like, man, that's more than I want to get into on a Sunday morning. I just want to come in here and shout. No, I'm kidding. We're going to shout before it's over, amen? Everybody say moralistic, therapeutic, deism. 
How many want to know what that means? Amen. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get there. But a comprehensive study that was done by the National Study of Youth and Religion, they identified that the dominant de facto religious belief system of today was, in fact, moralistic therapeutic deism. So what has happened over the generations of the Christian church in America, we've turned Christianity into moralistic therapeutic deism instead of a visitation and a relationship with a living God. I want to host his Holy Spirit, amen? I don't want to be satisfied with just morality. I don't want to be satisfied with just feeling good, therapy. I love therapists, amen? I got one. Come on, somebody. You ought to be happy your pastor got a therapist, amen? Some of y'all be killed if I didn't. No. <laughs> but I, and the idea of that close relationship, man, it's not about deism. And I'm going to define these for you just so you can understand a little bit more. And, and I don't want to insult you. Many of you are studying. You probably could teach me this right now. But when it comes to moralistic, it means that we have equated faith with being good, being a moral person. I'm a Christian. Why? Because I'm nice. I'm glad you're nice. You know, I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. And so we can equate Christianity with a moralistic approach. But how many, be honest, you have met Christians that they, they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. They carried ugly fruit with them. I mean, they have Jesus on their lips, but they were like one of those citrus fruits. Those ugly fruit that look like a, a grapefruit that went underneath the seat of your car for three weeks in a hot Georgia summer, you know? Yeah, yeah. But on the whole, though, when we think of Christianity, a lot of times it can just leave off at the place of being moral. I, I don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew. I don't date girls who do, so therefore I'm a Christian. Christian. Right. Second part of that, therapeutic. Therapeutic. It means that faith becomes a mechanism to feel better about oneself. Now, how many, I, God wants you to feel good about yourself, right? I've preached to you before. You're the head, not the tail. You're above and not beneath, amen? The righteousness, the seed of Abraham, glory to God. You got to say it like that when you're preaching like that, right? Glory to God. Yeah, no, I want you to feel good about yourself, but that's not the basis of Christianity. You know, that's not, God didn't just save you so you can feel good about yourself, Sometimes when it comes to the therapeutic side of Christianity, we lean in on Jesus for emergency sake. That, that falls into the category of the therapeutic side. So I'm going to be moral. I'm going to try to be good. When I need help, I'm going to lean in. God, help me pass this test. God, help my car go a little further. God, this, God, that. Amen. God, give me her to marry me. Some single man here in the room as you're interceding for that woman. Yes, no. Those prayers are good. We want to pray those prayers, but that's not all our faith is. The final part is the idea of being deistic, meaning that God exists but is not involved in our affairs with any regularity. So the deists believe like a watchmaker makes a watch, and after all the mechanics of the watch is made, the watchmaker gives it to the owner of the watch, and then the watchmaker leaves. This is the view of deism. And that that watchmaker, like God, is a creator, has created, but there's no intimacy, there's no relationship between the watchmaker and the possessor of the watch. He's just benefiting from the systems that were laid out by the creator. And that's deistic theology, if you will. And so a lot of our religion in America is starting to shift and slant toward moralistic, therapeutic deism. But 
people, they're not devising this lackluster faith on their own. This idea of shifting to this, it's not coming just because they're compelled to it. No, no. They are mimicking the tame faith that permeates their faith communities and home. We preach too tame of a faith, you know? I love like in, in Lord of the Rings, you know, when they talked about Aslan. Is he safe? No, but he's good. Yeah. No, when it comes to our faith, sometimes things can be so structured and so neat and so orderly and so safe. And man, when you look at the Holy Spirit, man, there's some crazy things that happen in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit starts to move. As the Holy Spirit begins to have visitation with his people, with, with the people of God. And so we have convinced ourselves that this is the gospel. If I'm good, if I can get out of emergencies, if I can feel good about myself, and, 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 if, and if I can please a God that's transcendent but may not be so imminent with me, then I'm a Christian. But that's not what the gospel is. It's far from the good news that Jesus came to give. The gospel points to visitation and relationship. With a living God. In the cool of the evening, the Spirit of God would come and walk with Adam and Eve. It was relational. It was that connection, that visitation. And, and, and then that was broken by sin. And the gospel would show that all through the Old Testament, you see the covering of blood uh, over top of sin through the, the shedding of animals' blood. But then Jesus in Hebrews, we see, becomes the ultimate sacrifice, it says. And so that relationship, why? So we can have a restoration of relationship with God. So we can have visitation again in the cool of the evening. So we can have visitation again in the presence of God Almighty through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we can have relationship. Amen? That's what it's all about. The gospel giving us proper, again, relationship and visitation with, with God. And so last week, we began looking at what it takes to host the presence of the Holy Spirit. If there's an invitation from God for us to be able to welcome him into a place of visitation, what does it take to be able to do that? And just like this time of year, we are very purposeful in our preparations around the home because we have an expectation of family and friends coming. And it's not something we do by accident, but we're purposeful. We know the same goes with the things of, of the Spirit. We know when we are purposeful in preparation, I taught you last week, that God honors preparation with a manifestation of his presence. I want that in my home more. I want that in our church more. I want that in my car more, you know? I do. And so we are looking, last week we started this process, this series, and um, today we're going to go into the second week of this. Because hosting well doesn't happen by accident, but it's through purposeful, thoughtful actions that we prepare for our guests. Last week, I said if we're going to prepare for the Holy Spirit, we've got to guard our hearts from grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to take the time to reteach last week. Go. If you missed last week, the first two points of these first two weeks are in last week. Point three and point four are in this week, okay? And so if you would, go back and listen to last week. But last week leaned into the grieving of the Holy Spirit. And we lean into the idea that when it comes to grieving of the Holy Spirit, God is wanting to do things within us and our actions that hinder this Holy Spirit from working Christ-likeness in us. That's called spiritual formation. When we're guarded against that, it will cause us to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to welcome him, not grieve him. Amen? 
So we lean in as we looked last week, allowing him to take care of the clutter in our lives and, and so on. Again, I don't want to teach into that from last week. Go, go check it out, all right? But this week, I want to look in two things, two points, around the idea of quenching the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Our actions that hinder the Holy Spirit from doing what he desires to do through us. That's what quenching is. So God wants to do something in and through you. And when we hinder that from happening, when we don't make place to be a host for that to happen, we quench the Holy Spirit. We've got to make place to say, okay, Lord, I want you to work in and through me. I want to be a host of your presence as you work in and through me. If I don't, then I am quenching the Holy Spirit. As I said last week, actions of our heart that hinder the Holy Spirit from doing what he desires um, to work in us, that's grieving. The idea of him trying to work in and through us, that's quenching. Both, if we are going to be able to have a visitation and a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit, both, we've got to guard our hearts from both grieving and quenching. So this week, we're going to give you two that lean into quenching, all right? So the first is, number three, this is the third point. Remember the last two weeks, we had point one and two. So the third is anticipate the arrival of your guest. That makes sense. How many enjoy going someplace where they anticipate you? You show up and they're like, Bob! Hey! Homie! Yeah, feels good. There's, a, there's a, a, an expectation of arrival. So anticipate the arrival of your guest. You look forward to experiencing that time together, and it's marked by expectation. Here at the end of this week, my goddaughter is coming, and her daughter, and we're going to have them here for like three or four days, and I haven't seen Danae in probably a year and a half or so, and I miss her, and I can't wait to see her and little Quinn, her baby. And, and um, this is the only family in our whole ministry that Amy and I ever put our hand, our John Hancock, to say if something was to happen to the family, we would take the kids. Now, we did that years ago. They had six kids, and the one kid was special needs, had to be fed through a tube. He has since passed. He passed. Isaac passed when he was about 10. But this is a family. Her daddy was my mentor when I was a young teenager. And, um, and so um, as we were coming up, we were mentors to their kids. And just have been in love with them forever. I'm anticipating our girl being here, you know. I can remember when she was this big and she would hold my fingers. And then as a teenager, I would think, you know what, that'll end. No, she'd grab my hand and she'd hold my hand. And then when she was getting her doctorate down here at Emory, you know, she'd sit there in the living room. And I got my daughters all around me and she'd sit there and hold my hand and Albie's holding my hand. And, and it's just like, oh, it's our girl. We're anticipating having her for a few days. How many have people that you thought was going to come and you knew they were going to be an annoyance. <laughs> Anybody? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but like, like here in a couple of weeks, or this week, yeah, yeah, you got Thanksgiving, he's like two hands, you got Thanksgiving coming up this week, and there may be like old Uncle Joe that you're just not looking forward to Uncle Joe coming, you know? Uncle Joe always brings his politics with him, you know? Or Uncle Ted always brings his politics. I heard somebody say recently, I thought it was great, you know when it comes to your politics, and your kids, I don't like any of them. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. I just I heard it said. I thought it was kind of funny, but um, keep preaching, Ross. Okay, so <laughs> you know, I'm done with this visitation. This is getting annoying. But you know what I'm saying, you know? Or the loud guy, or the obnoxious person, or or, or as some people call it Ross. You know? Um, shut up. No. So, but with that idea of annoyance, annoyance, man, you're not 
creating a sense of expectation for them. There is a passage of scripture in Acts 1, verse 4, where Jesus, he spoke to 120, actually he spoke to 500 people. And here's what he said to them. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. He's telling them to have an expectation for the arrival of the Holy Spirit to come, this promise. They weren't even sure what that meant. And he's giving these people, 500 people at the ascension, giving them the invite to come to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise. Now, that number 120, do you all remember last week as we looked at the rebuilding of the temple with Solomon and how many priests came in when they celebrated that day of of consecration of the new temple? It was 120. I believe there's something significant about that day and the day of Pentecost that we're getting ready to read about, all right? And here's two things of significance. One, there's an Ark of the Covenant in that day. You saw last week that there are two tablets in that Ark of the Covenant. That is the Ten Commandments, correct, the law. But we also understand, though, years later, that it wouldn't be a law written in our lives as far as something we see on tablets, but it would be a law through the Holy Spirit written on our hearts, Do you know what the day of Pentecost celebrates? It celebrates the giving of the law. So it wasn't an accident that the Holy Spirit showed up on this day to be able to give, in a sense, that law within the hearts of man, not law written upon tablets. First thing to see in this. Second thing to see in this, I told you, as I said, 120 priests. We saw last week when the temple was rededicated, it was 120 priests without division. Do you remember that? Now watch what it says here. And being assembled together with them. Do you see that? And you're going to see here a little bit longer that they were in one accord in one place. So they were 120. That's what ended up happening. Out of the 500, it ended up being 120 in the upper room about 10 days after that promise was given to them. All right? Do you know why there wasn't 380 other people? Annoyance. Annoyance, not expectation. Jesus has given them this invite to go away. He gave it to all of those that saw him ascend. And now, some of them, well, you know what? Man, it's been, it's been four days. I, I mean, is this going to happen anytime soon? Is it, it's been seven days. Is this going to happen? Like, nine, I can't. I, I, think of the people that left on the ninth day. Just one day shy of experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in such, such a significant way. So I don't know if that was it. You know, it may have been, hey, it's not, it's not comfortable for me to wait. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I have priorities. I, have, I get all that. But, man, when there is an expectation for a guest, man, you're getting the house ready. You're doing whatever it takes because you know there's a promise of relationship, a promise of visitation. You can't wait for them to get there. Amen? It's expectation, not annoyance. And so that passage we saw last week in 2 Chronicles, you know, it points to, tap yourself on the chest, to you. Those 120 priests that were without division, that when the Holy Spirit moved upon the temple at that time, and the glory was so thick they could hardly stand. Man, we see that again in the New Testament. 120 up the room, the glory comes upon them, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, fills them with the Spirit, so they can go out and do the work of ministry. Tap yourself right here one more time. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the place of visitation. Amen? 
This is the place the law is written. This is the place the glory comes. God wants to pour his glory upon your life. Amen. Not just so that you can be developed and be moral, but so that you can be changed like Christ, so that you can be moved upon by the person of the Holy Spirit and you don't quench him and he works in and through you his stuff. His glory, his goodness. You see the book of Acts. As soon as these people were filled with the Holy Ghost, they begin to go out and start to minister. The book of Acts is called Acts of the Apostles. Why? Because it's the acts of those who have been touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? I'm looking at people here today. The Holy Spirit's the same in you as it was in the early church. Amen? But are we anticipating? Are we expecting? the arrival of that guest in our lives. Mm -hmm. It says, the fourth thing here, it says, it says, this is what I want you to hear. This is the fourth, so this is the fourth point. Like we had two last week, three, and now four. So we're gonna anticipate the arrival of that guest. When that guest shows up, we're gonna engage that guest when they're present. Amen? So sometimes we'll invite the presence of the Lord. We'll, we'll start to make place for the presence of the Lord. And God begins to do something and move and stir. And, well, got to stop that. <laughs> no, we're going to engage the Holy Spirit when he, when he comes. And I can remember when I was younger with Amy in marriage, um, man, I absolutely hated quiet time with her. Like the quiet time you have before the Lord. Like our first decade of marriage, I was a pastor. But to sit with my Bible and pray with my wife, it was like pulling teeth for me. Am I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. I, you may be a lot more saved than I was. But I'll be honest, my first decade, I don't know why. I, I, know, I, I, I say I don't know why. I know why. My insecurity as a husband, my insecurity as a man of God, my lack of growth and development, that mirror of his word in the presence of my wife was embarrassing to me. Ooh, I've never said that publicly. I kind of wish I would take that back. <laughs> you all kind of annoyed me. Pulling that out of me. No. But I'm just being honest. I, I was growing and maturing. I mean, we started pastoring full-time at 21 years old. I was young and dumb, you know. But, man, the last 15, 16 years, we set a table before the Lord. And he comes with his presence before us. And he touches Amy and I, and he fills us, and he stirs our heart, and he shows us stuff from his word. And she'll have words for me sometimes, and I'll have words for her sometimes. It's like breath, guys. Like I, can't, I cannot not be in the presence of the Lord with my girl. There's just something, an expectation of visitation. And when the guest arrives, we engage the guest. I was just for a decade too uncomfortable to even invite him to the table. Amen? So there's something powerful about that. That engaging with the guests when he comes, you know? And, and here's one of those ways you engage with your guests when they come. You embrace what you know your guests will appreciate. I'll give you a funny example. I went to Racetrack. That's my coffee shop by choice. Partly because I'm cheap. And I can get a really good cup of coffee for a whole lot less than Starbucks. Do I get in trouble for saying things like that? I don't think so. So I go to racetrack last Sunday. I go at 6.30 in the morning, always on Sunday, and I just go over my notes one last time, and I leave there just shy of 8 for an 8.15 meeting here on Sunday morning. And when I walked in, I had my coffee, and this young man is there, and I walk up. Now it's 6.30 in the morning. I get it. Not everybody's going to be chipper. I walk up. He never looks up at me. Dings the thing. 
Tells me what it'll be. No, he didn't even tell me what it was going to be. I looked over here. I saw it was like $2.11. You know? He never says anything. It's like, it was deadpanned. It was the most awkward. I did not feel welcomed, you know? I didn't feel like, like I was expected. I felt like I was a nuisance. I felt like an annoyance, you know? And um, I pay for my coffee. I go over to my booth. And while I'm over in my booth, I put some music on, you know, real low, just where I can hear it. And an hour and a half or hour and 20 minutes goes by, and the young man got off his shift, and when he got off his shift, he comes over there. He's got some food and drinks and stuff. You can tell he's waiting for a ride. And he sits down. And if you guys know me, 90% of what I listen to on Spotify is black gospel because I bump. I like it. I always have. Since I was 10 years old, that's just my music of choice. Come on, live in, he loved me, die and he saved me. Yeah. So I got some old gospel on. Quiet, just enough for me to hear. The young man comes over and he hears it and he looks at me and he goes, you know what's up. <laughs> so he said, you know what's up. I was like, yeah, no, I do. No, I didn't say it. But I was like, yeah, man. And we started talking about music and stuff. And he said, my dad always loved the old gospel stuff, you know. And, and we were throwing out some of the names of the old gospel artists and stuff, like Teddy Huffman in the gyms. I, I can go all day long on that stuff, but I won't. So instantly, this, this little guy that just stood there, never even looked up to me, he becomes like little Mr. Chatty Box for the next 10 minutes. I'm like, dude, I, I really, I got people at church waiting. I, I got to look at this scripture one more. No, I didn't say that to him. I enjoyed it. I just took time with it. Why? There was something of value that he heard that related to him. There was an appreciation, and it instantly went from annoyance to expectation, from annoyance to relationship and conversation. I think we need to be mindful of the things of the Holy Spirit at times, to be expecting him and to posture ourselves in a way that he knows he's welcome. When I make that time with Amy in the presence of the Lord, he knows he's welcome. When I make that time before him, there, I always do a retreat, usually in January, for like two or three days. I take my camping stuff. I take a lot of firewood. I build a, teep, a, a lean-to so I can keep myself warm. And I go out for three days in the woods and pray. And I get the word for the, from the Lord for what he wants us to share for, this, for the next year, you know? Do you know he never lets me down? I don't have internet when I go to these places. I just go with my Bible and a notebook. And God just always... Because there's an expectation. And then when he shows up, I engage with that expectation. Amen? Amen. See where we're at. We're doing good. All right. So you engage with him. Um, when you engage people when they're coming as a guest, you engage them by doing what you know they'll appreciate, doing what you know they will value. What do you think the Lord values? What do you think the Lord appreciates? And I know that sounds so crazy. It's like you're making the personification of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. You're making him such a person, Ross. Exactly. I'm not making him anything he is. This is what he is. It's not moral, therapeutic deism. It's the living God. And he's invited us into a vibrant relationship with him through the person of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. A person, a person can, like I said, be grieved, it can be quenched, a person can have joy, a person can, can be jealous. We saw that a few weeks ago about God being a jealous God. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is a vibrant, living being. <clears throat> I 
And so you're watching out for the needs of your, of over, you're watching out for their needs over the, your own needs when you have somebody there. When you're expecting them and you're engaging them. So like I have a friend when he comes, he likes Dr. Pepper. I always get Dr. Pepper for him. I don't know how he can like that stuff. It's gross. How many Dr. Pepper? Any, anybody? Dude, it was, it was, really? It was carbonated prune juice. That's all I have to say. This is how it started. The only thing that made the carbonated prune juice better was the cocaine. That's a sound bite. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not in the notes, obviously. Uh, me, I like Coke Zero. I have friends that will have me over and they'll have Coke Zero. You know, things like that. So you're watching out for their needs over your own. So when it comes to not grieving the Holy Spirit, I'm watching out for his desires over my own. Lord, what are you trying to do in me to create Christ-likeness? That's grieving. If I'm not doing that, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's trying to do a work in me. He does that through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But on the other side, I can quench the Holy Spirit when it comes to his gifts because he also doesn't just want to do a work in me. That's the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to do a work through me. He wants to do a work through you. That is in you the power of God in the earth. He wants both. And so we can grieve or quench. God wants the fruit of his spirit and the gifts of the spirit in operation in his church. And I believe it comes first from expectation and second from engagement with the Lord when he shows up through the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Basically, they all went there in a heart of preparation to wait in one accord. And then the Holy Spirit honored their preparation with the manifestation of who he was, his presence, and baptized the Holy Spirit to do a powerful, powerful work in them. And then as you see, that manifestation of power wasn't just something for them. It was something for them and through them because you see all through the book of Acts, God used his power over and over and over and over again through his people. Amen. And so I want to finish with this because when a guest does come, part of that engagement with the guest is receiving the gifts of the guest. You know, think about that. When you go to a house, you bring something to the house, right? And so it's receiving those gifts that your guest is bringing to you. It's not uncommon for a guest to bear gifts when they come. And you appreciate the giver also by appreciating the gifts the giver brings. And I just want to read this real quick. I'm not going to teach into these. But these are some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to hear a few things so that it gets you kind of excited. Back in the 70s and 80s, and you probably remember this, there was people like, I move in this gift of the Holy Spirit. I move in that gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember this? Yeah, yeah, I remember it too. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I turned 49 this week. Gratuitous invite of applause from you. No, I'm teasing, no. Thank you, thank you. How'd you know? <laughs> no. Stop, stop. All right, so... <laughs> But that's how it was back then. And then I start preaching at 19 years old, and I started saying this when I would do revivals. I would say, I'm moving all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. No, I wouldn't say that. I'd say, I have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, you cocky kid, you know? I have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so do you, because you have the Holy Spirit, and he has his gifts. 
And if you're engaged with the Holy Spirit, when it's time for a gift to manifest, he will bring it about, and he'll have the glory and the honor. And, amen? I still believe it that way. Amen? We don't have to get worked up on who speaks in tongues, who has a word of prophecy, who has a word of knowledge. Who, no, no. Just get worked up on God, use us. We invite your presence to be a part of our lives. We want to engage you, and when we engage you, Lord God, we will allow you to work in and through us however you please. Verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed, Paul said. And then in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in all. And I love this. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not each one's given a gift. Each one's given the Spirit. And the Spirit has his gifts. And this, then those gifts start to come forth. Watch this. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing for the, for, um, by the one Spirit. To another, workings of miracle. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. I love how it just keeps saying, to another, to another, to another. In other words, it's like, let's not get so worked up about who has what. You know, this guy's going to have that, that guy's going to have this, this guy's going to have that. But we can see it came from a place of expectation, anticipation, invitation. And then the Lord responded with his presence and brought visitation and empowered them. And they moved forward as the church. God still wants this for us. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit who brings the gift to you. And here's the thing, if somebody brings you a gift and you don't receive that gift, whatever those gifts are, if somebody, even if it's their presence, if they come and it's like, ah, you can tell those people really didn't want me here. Guess what? You don't go back. I'm not saying that God's not going to come back. You know, you, you can't, you can't, you can't um, make it, you can't, as people, we can't throw our attributes onto God and, and get an analogy, okay? But we can say that the Bible says he looks with eyes looking for faith flowing all through the world trying to find, looking for people with expectation. God, I want that to be us. And when you come, we want your gifts. We're not going to be annoyed by you. We're not going to be annoyed by your gift. We want your gifts. And this week, Amy and I got to go away with our kids for two days. Some people in the church have an a Airbnb cabin. And a couple of years ago, they gave us a coupon to use it, and I used it as a, for a prayer retreat. It was awesome. And we showed ex thanks for that and, and expressed appreciation for that. And last year, they gave us another two nights there, and we just used it. And it was awesome. But if we wouldn't have showed appreciation the first time that we valued the gift as much as the giver, they probably wouldn't have given it to us again. Does that make sense? God wants to bring things to us, but we value him and the gift he brings. And in doing so, it creates this relationship with him that he just continues to move in and through you, in and through you. And there's expectation. And when that gift is valued, those gifts continue. A lot of times people will say in their lives, their spiritual lives, they'll say, I'm just dry right now. I get that. We go through that. Amen? Amen. So in that place of dryness, create an opportunity of expectation. Lord, I want you to come afresh and anew. 
bring that invite. It's relationship. Give that invite. As he comes, begin to engage and watch the vibrancy of him working spiritual formation in you as you choose to not grieve him. And watch the vibrancy of him working the gifts of the Holy Spirit through you when you choose to not quench him. Whew. And that whole idea of moralistic, therapeutic deism, that will not be the faith that marks you. But a vibrant relationship with a living God, that's what will mark you. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, let's stand to our feet. We're going to go back into some worship. Father, in the name of Jesus, have your way with us today, I pray. As we seek you, Lord, right now there may be some that need to come to this altar and seek you. Some in their seats, but we just come to you. We ask that you would visit us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.